And today's Bible reading can be found on page 271 in the Bible. It's 1 Samuel, the whole of chapter 1. The birth of Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Anna, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Anna stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Anna, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord 
and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord here. This is the word of the Lord. So loving God, thank you for uh, the stories in scripture which reveal something more of your character to us. May you open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned today, we start, uh, it's a three-week exploration, a little break next week as we have all age, um, into the book of one Samuel. Uh, So to give a little bit of a... um, a kind of foundation of what the book of 1 Samuel is all about uh, this week, um, as well as looking at Samuel 1. Uh, 1 Samuel is one of the main history books um, of the Hebrew scriptures. It actually falls into something which is called the Nevim part of the Hebrew scriptures, So the way that the Hebrew scriptures are um, kind of formed is something called the the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketavim, T-N-V, and so you hear it called the Tanakh. Uh, So that's the sort of what you might think of as the Jewish Bible, it's not the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. Um, And so Samuel falls in the Nevim, which means the prophets. So the Nevim, the Tanakh, is the law the prophets and the writings, the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketavim. And Samuel comes in the part which is a prophetic works, um, because Samuel is considered one of the former prophets. So although the book is kind of a historical narrative, um, it's a story of a prophet, so it also has a prophetic nature. And what this means is that there's a sense in which the genre of this book, as we read it, so if you ever read 1 and 2 Samuel, keep this in mind, um, that it's always telling us more than simple historical facts. The reality, of course, is that all historical writing, if we have any historians amongst us, is always telling us more than just the facts. There's always um, something in which someone is trying to tell you something specifically about the people, the character, the age, the time, what's going to happen, that kind of thing. Here, there is an imperative to think about what this story is trying to tell us about the work of God 
in the whole of God's story with humankind from the beginning. Uh, These books are not simply a snapshot, um, although they can be read quite nicely. It's one of those books of the Bible that you can just sort of read without sort of thinking, you know, that... uh, you're not going to understand it because it's not within its context, but it is important to kind of understand that context. Um, It has themes which are picked up throughout the rest of Scripture and which it picks up uh, from Scripture. And it's a message from which we are to learn about how we might walk this particular path of history which we are making right now. So it's absolutely something for us to, um, you know, which can impact our own life with God now. In particular, 1 Samuel speaks of what it means to be a people who are faithful to God and obedient to God, Uh, which means that probably at some point during this book, they're not going to be faithful to God because that's how uh, the stories work. It's not always this wonderful story and then at the bottom this kind of, you know, go thou and do likewise. Often the stories in the Bible are like, so maybe don't go down that way. So, speaks of what it means to be a people who are faithful to God, to make choices, and how do we make choices about how we live as a community, to be wise in making choices which are about the character of God, who is God and therefore how should we live, Um, and especially when that might not make sense to the people around us. In particular, 1 Samuel is about the choice in that time to choose to be a community who are led by a king. Uh, But you're going to hear about that more in a couple of weeks' time. So here we are in the first chapter of 1 Samuel, and we immediately have a pattern presented to us. We have a man who has two wives. And one of those wives is the favoured wife. Her name? I don't think we have any Hannahs here. Do you have any Hannahs in your families? means favoured one. Uh, And so Hannah is the favoured wife. Um, And the favoured wife is the one who has not been able to have children. Now it might be that you feel your kind of spidey senses tingling and think, I think I've heard this story before. And you should be thinking that because you have. You hear right at the beginning in the book of Genesis about Abraham and Sarah and the introduction of Hagar, who was the Egyptian slave, who becomes Abraham's other wife because Sarah wasn't able to have children. It's a complicated story, uh, one of my favorites, but we can't go into it fully now. But you may remember that Sarah does eventually go on to give birth to Isaac, one of the patriarchs of our faith. And then Isaac uh, has a son, Jacob. So we have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob 
has two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Rachel is the favored wife who cannot have children. In the end, she does give birth to Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame and Benjamin. And Joseph, who is the favored son of the favored wife, is the father of Manasseh and Ephraim. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So you're being invited to see the pattern. And gosh, there is so much in this passage. I can't go into it all here. We would be here all day. But I think we are being drawn into, through the stories of the wives, um, the women in this passage, to link the heritage of this story, um, the patriarchs of the faith, to understand that this story is part of the whole story of God throughout human history. We may feel that we're a long way from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but a certain man has two wives, and the favored one cannot have children. It's saying whatever happens now is part of the long story of God. And so we better pay attention. And I think it's important to kind of mention here and talk about the kind of biblical presentation of infertility. Because it is a massive pattern, you know, throughout scripture and it comes up many times. Uh, And it's probably quite alien to us today to think that the woman is the only reason for any childlessness within a couple. But in biblical times, this was the only worldview around. Bearing children was entirely the responsibility of the woman. And because the worldview entirely set both good and bad, whatever happens to us, good and bad, is in God's hands. There was no question, as sometimes there is today, that good is sent by God and bad is sent by something else. Um, There was no something else for them. There was only God. And so in this worldview, it is God who shuts and opens wombs. And it is women who bear the cost of what that meant for them in their community at that time. We now know that the process of conception and the many things that might contribute to infertility and, uh, has moved. Um, in, in our worldview, we are less likely, if not totally unlikely, but less likely to attribute blame and shame 
thankfully, whilst recognizing the incredibly painful place that many people find themselves in around the issues of infertility and that a majority of infertility remains unexplained. But even in this part, and perhaps especially in this part of the story of God, in a time when blame and shame was part of the deal for women, the story of all these women, Sarah and Rachel, and in this chapter here, Hannah, tell us, that these women have a very significant and important part to play in the story of God. It tells us that God, at least, does not play the game that is so often played of marginalizing the powerless. That God is and always has been from the beginning the God of the marginalized. As it says in the, in the Old Testament, the big trope about who God is, God is the God of the widow and the orphan. God is the God of the childless woman. God is the God of the leper. God is the God of the poor, of the little child, of the immigrant, the refugee, the disabled person, the unusual person, the oppressed and the marginalized, whoever they are. These women were all indeed uh, named, which is unusual for women in the Bible. Often women go by with no names. That these women are named gives them a very significant part in the story because they're women of perseverance great faith and faithfulness to God when you might think that they would be forgiven for turning from God who after all in their world view is the source of their shame and pain But Hannah does not hide from God. She would maybe even be forgiven in those days of thinking that maybe God was angry with her. But instead, far from running away from God, it says she presented herself before the Lord at the temple. God is still her God. In her mind, she is better in the hands of God, no matter what. And as I was pondering about Hannah, I was thinking it reminded me of a story from one of the Narnia books. For those of you who've read Narnia, there's a book called The Silver Chair, um, and it, it's gone on, so Edmund and Lucy and Peter and Susan have, have disappeared now, and we have different characters in story. And one of those characters is called Jill, and um, she's been on her adventures. She hasn't met Aslan yet, who's the Jesus character, a big lion, Aslan the lion, the Jesus character in the stories. She hasn't met him yet, but she's very thirsty, 
And so she has a decision to make when she comes upon a stream which is guarded by a very large lion. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that, without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I don't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. We are better in the hands of God. There is no neat answer to suffering, to pain, to why bad things happen to good people, if indeed any of us are good. It's perfectly reasonable to think that some things seem unfair. We can say, in a way of making sense of it, that these things do not come from God. But then are we saying that God doesn't have the capacity to deal with these things? Chooses not to? We can say that these things do come from God. But then... What are we saying about God? We cannot tie it up. People have tried. (laughs) But we cannot tie up that problem of suffering with a neat little bow and um, make sense of the world in this easy and thoughtless way. The closest that I have gotten to making sense of these things in a way that helps me, is to know that in the person of Jesus, God walks with us in our sufferings. But in any case, there is no other stream. And I am better in the hands of God than in the hands of any other. 
Hannah prays at the temple and the silly priest thinks she is drunk because her lips are moving and she's not talking out loud to God. But when he has it explained to him, he asks simply that God grants her prayer. And God does answer Hannah's prayer. Honours her in her faithfulness to God. In her pain, Hannah is an example to us all of what it means to stick with God. Uh, The book of 1 Samuel is called Samuel because the rest of it is kind of taken up with him and the stories that come from his ministry. But the book begins with Hannah. It could have been called Hannah takes us on a journey through unfaithfulness and what it means to be a people after God's own heart. So as we journey in the next few weeks with Samuel, may we be those who choose, like Hannah, to present ourselves before the Lord, to move towards God in the good times and the bad. Knowing, like Hannah, that there is no other stream. Amen.